everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Manufacturing IT podcast. I'm joined today by Prashant Jagapaldi. Uh, Prashant, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, Daniel. Uh, this has been a, a, it's going to be a fun conversation today. Thanks for having me. I've, of course, followed you on uh, various blogs and, and our WhatsApp group. So it's always nice to hear from you and nice to see you and, and to listen in person. No, thanks, Prashant. So, yeah, you mentioned you, you, you joined our private MES Professionals WhatsApp community a while back. So hope you've uh, found, found some value in the community there. Um, so, Prashant, you're the VP of Products and Innovation. Is it VP of Products and Innovation at Symphony AI Industrial? Um, maybe, yeah. oops, maybe a products, but yes. Okay, thanks. Maybe you could give us a bit of an overview into kind of your role, who Symphony are, and um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot for that. So um, uh, Symphony AI is an enterprise AI company focused on uh, on helping uh, organizations transform with AI. Uh, really, we work uh, in, uh, in many verticals. Uh, company has been around for about six years at this point. Uh, we work in retail, uh, media, CPG, uh, financial services, um, IT services, and of course, industrial, uh, which mm. is what I'm part of. Uh, Symphony, uh, so each of these business divisions really uh, operates uh, with full autonomy, but really there's this thread of AI-based solutions uh, that we get from our uh, Symphony AI, the mothership that provides uh, a platform called Eureka AI. Uh, coming to this division that I'm part of, which is Symphony Industrial, it is really focused on, um, like, like the name says, the industrial manufacturing and industrial operations. Uh, but the primary goal is that of um, accelerating autonomy uh, for, uh, for plant operations. So if you go to our website, it'll say accelerating autonomous plant operations. That's really our main focus. Uh, my role, of course, is, um, is uh, I lead up the products for, uh, division for, for Symphony AI Industrial. Um, and really, we bring to market solutions that are that bring together systems, people, process, and and um, and assets to deliver this holistic picture of of what's happening in the in the shop floor in the in the manufacturing unit. And that's what we, that's what we do. No, it's a really really good overview, and it sounds like a really interesting company, uh, Prashant. So I guess with with your expertise in the industrial space, in it, are you finding that? within the industrial automation space, industrial manufacturing, are you finding different industries that are quicker to adopt AI and uh, the platform that, that you produce? Yeah, certainly. So if you think about uh, traditionally, not just AI, but any digital uh, technology, we do find that some industries are leaders and some are laggards. And certainly mm -hmm. there are uh, different uh, uh, reasons for that. One is of course, based on uh, availability of information, availability of funds, uh, some uh, some industries have um, un unmet problems that AI can resolve or help solve, and some don't. So if I take an example, for uh, if you look at the semiconductor tech, high tech space, I mean there's a lot more acceptance that we are finding for AI based solutions. In fact, a couple of our um, our high tech customers are our early uh, pilots and early customers have taken our solution into production. Uh, and so that that's that's really the the leader of the pack, if you will, and and just like any other digital transformation, we have the laggards that are really coming on later on. But we are we, our goal is really to help everybody uh, along the way, mm. and meet them where they're at, and help them with the transformation they need for that particular point in the journey. 
and then take them along for the ride. So that's really how we go to market. But yeah, I mean, that's that's with any other mm. technologies. Yep. No, that makes sense, Michelle. And I guess that I've always been interested with product positions and, and product leadership roles because in my eyes, and, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, but there's always that inflection point between how much you lead the customer in taking new technology to market and giving them new use cases for that technology versus listening to their product pains and then matching your solution to that. So how do you manage that kind of tightrope? That's actually a very good question. It's uh, So uh, rephrasing the question, it is, how do you lead the customer? Because if you are way ahead of the of, of the customer, you're primarily going to lose them along the way. But yeah. they're not ready for the for the part of the journey. And and how do you stay one step ahead of the customer so you're actually leading them and showing them the light? Well, there are two three tactics that we use in this. I mean, it's really, uh, if you go back to the discipline of product management, that's what it really boils down to, which is how understanding your customer needs and understanding your customer pain points. We do uh, regular surveys with our customers. We go talk to them, understand which part of the journey they're in, and certainly paint the vision of this is what we are seeing in other industries or in industries that are adjacent. And so, uh, so uh, uh, it, it, it's really product management 101 if you go back to it and making sure you understand the customer's uh, case, you, I mean, pain point, create a case study out of it, or rather create a business case out of it so you can understand mm -hmm. the uh, return on investment. Because it's, it, like if, if you think about it, uh, take an AI kind of a solution and we go to, um, let's say, uh, a, a small, medium-sized company that's making building materials in, in, uh, in the middle of, uh, of, the, of the Midwest of the country in the US, uh, it may not add as much value as it would. Uh, and the cost may be too high because you may have to train people, you may have to collect all this data. And so it may not really help them. So having that perspective of, of which industries are going to be ripe for disruption, mm. which industries are ready for it, uh, which industries do you, uh, which customers within those industries, because not all customers or all companies within an industry are also ready for it, right? depending on the size, depending on the location, depending on, mm. on the maturity level. So having that map is what we provide. Uh, we have a consulting team that goes in, helps with that consulting, understand where in the journey they are, and then we work with, the, with that team as well as a customer to figure out how to build the products. And when we have products, we do regular uh, sessions and webinars. We've gone to our digital manufacturing talks. We, we basically roll out and new features, new products, and, and, and educate our customers so that they can contact us. So it's really a very organic process. It is not mm. as, as cut and dry as you, as, as, as you may think. It, mm. it is a, it's a much more collaborative process with our customers. No, it's an interesting space. And I'll be honest, AI is, is not a particular area that I'm hugely strong in or have a deep knowledge in. So, you know, for me, it covers under that industry 4.0, manufacturing 4.0, disruptive technologies. But what are some of the kind of obvious use cases and obvious benefits that a manufacturer would have or would need for using an AI solution? So, um, I mean, I, I'm going to answer the question that you asked, which is the AI solution, but then I want to also broaden it out to general digital technology set mm. at some point. So the question that you were asking was really, where can AI specifically help and what sort of use cases will they be useful for? So uh, focusing specifically on manufacturing itself, what you're finding is there are probably three main buckets of, of use cases. Uh, first is uh, certainly what's been tried and tested very much uh, on uh, things like predictive maintenance or machine maintenance, machine monitoring. Uh, second one really, which is an emerging use case for us really right now is in the quality inspection, 
vis visual inspection, golden batch kind of determination. And I'll come back and cover all three of them uh, at a time. And then finally, there is the process optimization itself, which is how do you help your manufacturing processes get better? So those are really three big buckets of mm. use cases that we are seeing. Now coming back and, uh, uh, and covering what each of those buckets really means, right? So uh, uh, if, it, if you step back and think about what sort of problems can AI solve? How do you characterize a problem that would be right for AI? It is, um, it really boils down to um, uh, complex multivariable, multivariate analysis needs. So if you have if you have multiple inputs that really impact multiple outputs, and then the correlation between the input and output is not clear, in general, that's a good problem for uh, for AI. So if you take the uh, take uh, an example of predictive maintenance, uh, so we have a we do asset performance monitoring and we do mm -hmm. AI-based asset performance monitoring, which helps with predictive maintenance. That's one, one part of our business. And so there you're monitoring things like oil levels, heat, vibration of machines of rotary machines. And, uh, and as you can imagine, each of those really emit out like 15 to 20 uh, data points per machine. And if you think about the, the vastness of machines, those, that those can multiply. And so you end up with like huge data set that you need to now sift through to find patterns and trends and understand whether the machine is going to fail now, tomorrow, next shift, or next mm. year, and be able to provide that sort of information. So in general, those sort of problems have been addressed by providing audit schedules and walk around inspections and things like that. But, uh, but it's a very good use case for AI, and we certainly see a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, of our customers going after this, especially in the asset performance monitoring space. Mm. Uh, and I'll, I'll touch about the second one, and then I want to uh, switch away from that. The second one is really around the quality of a, of a particular uh, product or quality process what I was talking about. If you think about it, let's take, a, like, let's take an oil and gas or a specialty chemical industry that is trying to determine the quality of their output. Okay, so we have, we're working with this uh, customer right now that has, uh, 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 they're a specialty chemical manufacturer and they're trying to optimize their uh, line throughput. They, they can only have fixed capacity, but they want to be able to make the, make the most of that capacity. And the way to do that is to be able to bring the cycle time down, be, being able to bring the, uh, bring, um, quality up really because once you have bad bad product you have to go back and redo some you may have to sit in a particular stage for longer than required so how do we uh, is it possible to look at data that we're collecting in in traditional lean terms what we call kpiv or key performance input variables to predict kpovs and typically we collect about 50 to 100 of these and maybe 50 to 100 of those. So you can imagine that matrix itself yeah. input and output is, is for about 2,500 uh, strong, right? So that, mm -hmm. that kind of complex matrix, try to figure out what the patterns are so that we can reduce uh, the incidence of bad quality at the output. So we can give them early signals hours in advance that you know this particular batch you're looking at is not going to uh, yield good quality at the end. So they can stop the batch, they can contain it, or they can correct it along the way, so things like that. So those are two main use cases that I think uh, we have some uh, strong case studies around. Uh, and uh, but I, I think I want to, if, if you, with your permission, I want to just mm -hmm. take on a little, 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 uh, like make it a little high level. I know we talked about yeah. AI, but really we should broaden the conversation out to 
digital technologies in general, right? Mm. AI, like you said, is one of the uh, digital technologies in the industry for auto kind of a landscape of sorts, right? Yeah. If you think about uh, connect, uh, how do you get the data for, for all this? There's connectivity needs, right? There is needs for, um, uh, for, uh, for being able to contextualize that data that you collect. It's not, I mean, if you, if you just connect, collect a temperature sensor, it doesn't matter what that what the value is unless you know where that data data was measured from. So the context mm -hmm. is very important. So being able to get data, contextualize it, analyze it, and then make predictions based on that that whole uh, life cycle, that system of intelligence, is really what uh, what we provide, and that's really the the, the whole story end to end. And I think that that makes a lot of sense for manufacturers, doesn't it, in terms of having that visibility across all of the areas. So zooming out from just AI and having that visibility across all the data make, makes a lot of sense for their production improvements, reliability, all of that good stuff. What well, one of the areas that I was interested on, Prashan, and from my background is specifically around the kind of MES side of things. Do you think there's um, an easy access point for, for manufacturers to take that digital transformation and kind of if you were looking for that transformation, where would be the starting point for a manufacturer? Uh, so the question is really, if somebody wants to start, where would they start? Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it depends on, um, on the customer itself and what their problems really are. But uh, a good starting point would be to find, uh, I mean, so the biggest mistake I would say that uh, some people make when they get on this pilot journey, mm -hmm. pilot of, of AI solutions, is to try and uh, go after a use case that is very um, similar to something else that's already uh, been solved. So if you're, if you're trying to uh, solve problems that have already been solved and mm -hmm. then try to build AI solutions around it, in my experience, what I've seen is most people at the end of the day, they compare the results of this was the results of what there was. And if the difference isn't big enough, you end up uh, canning the whole AI when the AI gets a bad name at that point. So that's really okay. one of the big problems. So I think where uh, it'll be very beneficial for customers to do is to identify uh, really uh, problems that haven't been solved in the past. So if you think about golden batch characterization uh, or uh, optical visual inspection, uh, automatic, those are problems that haven't really been solved in the past. And so going after those kind of meaty use cases will be useful because now you are uncovering value where you thought there was none or it was yes, impossible okay. to get. Now, the second other type of um, uh, areas we are finding our gets ourselves getting pulled into is, uh, so, like I said, some of our high-tech customers have already started their own AI initiatives. Okay. They, are, they have seen the value of data science in solving statistical and non-statistical problems. And they've tried it out, it proved out, and they're happy with it. The problem mm -hmm. is, doing it at scale is a problem. They, yeah. Having, I mean, the da data scientists are not easy to come by these days. It's still a, still a very hard uh, <laughs> uh, resource. I mean, I'm sure in the space of recording yeah. that is probably not the easiest thing to do. But, uh, but even if we do, uh, providing those sort of specialists in different factories of different facilities, almost impossible. So that's where we, um, we would come in and we would try to, uh, we would basically work with those data scientists, look at the data sets, and then our system, our Eureka AI platform, lets you make it in line with your manufacturing process, but it lets you uh, run it at scale. So you build it once, you run it multiple times, you get value, you can continuously improve as you as you see things uh, changing. Uh, and all that really, uh, 
the, the basis of, of that continuous improvement, possibility of continuous improvement, is because of our composable mom platform. So really okay. it goes hand in hand. It's not just AI. Having, having uh, data science alone is not going to be sufficient. But data science in conjunction with the domain expertise, which is really the part of our mom 360 platform, that's really where the, where the value really lies for the customers. Okay, now that that's interesting. So, so Mom three sixty is that a new solution or is that something that you you've always had? So, Mom three sixty was launched last week. Thanks for asking. Oh. Uh, <laughs> if you, uh, we, we, it's a new product that we launched, which is really bringing together three technologies uh, that that we had for for a few years with with a new technology on top of it. So. Uh, uh, manufacturing, so Mon360, first of all, what is Mon360? Mon360 is our AI-enabled manufacturing operations management platform with uh, some core MES solutions on top of it. So okay. uh, we've, we've had the stack in the past. We've had Eureka AI, which is our AI stack in the past, and we've really brought that together uh, with uh, with uh, what uh, uh, what we call I and mean, what everybody calls connected uh, connected worker the connected worker platform, which is um, I mean I don't know if you've been following Symphony too closely, but we recently made an acquisition in January uh, of a of a company called Procedix. Okay, and, and was it really enables mobile deskless workers to be able to be on the shop floor and make decisions, etc. And so we've kind of combined those three and Mom360 is really the product of that. Mom360 is available um, I mean, for use if there's a demo need, I'm certainly happy to do that at some point. No, that, that's really interesting. And I guess those, those kind of modular systems now is kind of really where the space is going, isn't it? In terms of easy for a customer to implement, cheaper cost, uh, yeah. and maybe more configurable. That's exactly right. I mean, the, one of the powers of Mom360 really is the composable nature of it. And what we mean by that is, ability to take, um, I, mean, I mean, traditionally speaking, um, MES systems or MOM systems have been monolithic in nature. In other words, mm -hmm. you have a big software package, you install it, you implement it, and we do it plan by plan, right? And so that has really been a pain point uh, for many manufacturers. So really over the last decade or so, uh, we've seen an emergence of cloud-based technologies for helping MES uh, operations or manufacturing operations in general. Uh, and, but, but the problem with that is not all operations can be performed in the cloud. Many times you need uh, some of those operations to exist on premises, uh, yeah. on next to the manufacturing system. And the reason for that is some of those really require low latency, quick turnaround decision-making. And so if you want to drive towards autonomy in the plant, which is really the mission of Symphony AI Industrial, is we need to be able to provide for that sort of uh, uh, capability. So MOM360 really brings those together. The third thing that we've seen over the last uh, uh, five years or so is a growth or emergence of, uh, of low-code uh, MES tools or, mm. or platforms out there that lets you do DIY uh, um, manufacturing apps or or, or, or so be it, right? So we can build build what you need. It, it's very fairly powerful. I would not say it's not because it gives you quick turnaround and gives the powers power of the of the app composing to the manufacturing engineer who is mm -hmm. in the who is in the manufacturing shop floor in in the in the facility, and so they can now address the specific needs of the of the facility. 
but but the problem with that approach really is you end up with many of those point solutions. And if you are like, like a multi-site enterprise, like some of our customers are with our installations in like 370 sites or so, it, um, it makes it almost impossible to standardize. And if there's yes. no standardization, you cannot collect data, compare data, learn, share learnings and things like that. So what Mom360 really does is is it is like the middle of the of the spectrum. If you think of one end being the monolithic and other end being like the DIY kind of apps point solutions, we are somewhere in the middle. Okay. So we provide some of the out of the box capabilities that are building blocks that you can turn on and go with it, or you can build your own if you want to. If they are, or you can extend what we need. And so the build isn't that high upfront, mm. but at the same time. Uh, if there's specific needs, you don't have to make compromises. And so it provides that sort of flexibility. And it also drives standardization because yes. you're now building building some, um, some standard modules that you can then reuse across all your plants. Uh, and finally, because of standardization, you can collect data, contextualize it and compare and share learnings. And when you do continuous improvement and you want to keep updating processes, I want to change a few connectors here and there you can do that without disrupting the entire system because it's in a, I mean, think of it as manufacturing systems in a microservices format, really. Microservices mm -hmm. is another new digital trend for, I mean, uh, that's happening. So really we are delivering manufacturing processes in that kind of format. That's really the Mom360 story. No, it's really interesting, Sean, and thanks for giving us that kind of visibility on Mom360, but also kind of where it sits on that spectrum because I'm definitely seeing an aggressive kind of marketing and creative side of the kind of low code no code modular platforms but then also the kind of legacy monolithic ones so really interested to see kind of that spectrum and where it sits yeah um, Thank you, one of the one of the areas i was keen to, to kind of ask you about and obviously i'm coming from a recruitment background and day in day out i'm speaking to really strong manufacturing operations people people who work on the, um, the concrete side of the building who understand machinery manufacturing i also then speak to the it people who are really au fait with the latest digital technologies but what would you say would be the advice you'd give someone looking to get into digital manufacturing somebody looking to kind of build their career in in a kind of similar vein to yourself yeah yeah thanks for that so um I mean, certainly you can approach any career in this area from both directions and there's really no one right answer i think if you think i think i mean i uh, take about five to ten five, maybe 30 seconds just describing uh, my background a little so yeah. i can connect the dots over there so uh, when i was of course born and raised in india um, and i spent there about um, 20 years of my life i would say in india and when I came here, I mean, towards the end of my, uh, my uh, towards when I was 21, uh, towards the end of my graduation from my undergrad, is my dad had started a control system company. He, he was a control system engineer, so, uh, engineer all along. So we did some distributed control systems over there. So that gave me an opportunity to really understand how his control systems perform. And really, we were delivering, we were getting hardware from Canada, building the software in India, and, and shipping this off to Far East, Singapore, Malaysia, those countries. Uh, of course, in 97, the Far East economy collapsed, and as, as a result, the business didn't end up doing very well. But, uh, but in the process, it gave me an appreciation for how does control systems work for, uh, in, a, in a, say, a cot cotton mill. We had a cotton mill mm. customer, so I had actually been done a visit over there. So it, it, uh, I mean, myself, I'm a very software-oriented person and not mm. really, uh, so I'm more towards the IT side of the spectrum, not the OT side of the spectrum, but being able to work with my dad and, and really walk the shop floor gave me that appreciation for what's on both sides. 
right? So, so I don't think there's any one right answer. I think it mm. it, it all depends on um, on on where you're coming from. But I think it's very important that if you are serious about getting into the MES space or manufacturing OT space, which and by the way, it's not a bad space to get into right now. It's so mm. much happening, so much disruption. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but but if you want to, I think uh, you can uh, approach, if you're an IT heavy person, then maybe try to find opportunities where you can walk the shop, where you can talk to your customers, join communities such as Mesa, your maybe Society of Manufacturing Engineers. I mean, your WhatsApp group is a good community. I'm, I'm sure they're more like that, but be there and talking to people and, and, and engage in active communities. Um, and that way you can see what problems that people are facing on the shop floor itself are. Now, if you're coming from the OT side, I think it's very important that uh, that you understand uh, really the uh, the IT I mean, the IT side of things, of course. Like, well, what are the technologies used, and understand what cloud is, understand what digital transformation is going on right now. Because right now we're living in an interesting time where both IT and OT kind of are getting very close. There's a convergence mm -hmm. of IT and OT uh, teams, right? And as a result, um, a lot of projects require multi uh, multifunctional understanding across these. And that's the only way you can go forward. Uh, of course, uh, there's one more way of thinking about it is if you're fresh and a college grad versus if you're an existing professional, I mean, that's another way of thinking about it, not just IT and OT professionals, right? Mm. Because a college grad who has a mechanical engineering background, who has understands Six Sigma processes and things like that, uh, that, is, that is certainly, they probably need to cross-pollinate their ideas with technology-based ideas. And similarly, mm. People who are in the computer science field and they want to get into some of these, learn, uh, uh, get exposure to IoT, uh, AI-based solutions. But that's really the, going to the future over here, and 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 um, and and get get an appreciation for the shop floor. No, I, I think it's really good advice, and I think that's always the interesting side. Just uh, how 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 we kind of create the industry 4.0 professional of the future or the industry 5.0 professional of the future, because <laughs> it's such a such a ever-evolving and, and fast-paced environment it, it's really making sure that we've got the skills gap or sorry the skills gaps not getting bigger uh, and, and that talent shortage is kind of getting filled with people who are excited to to learn and, and get familiar with this space yeah but it's not i mean so certainly there's a big skills gap there's, there's no there's no question about it and we do need to fill those skills but i think there's also the I mean, other aspects of industry for that are also stepping are, are also at play over here. So we I mean, think about the broad uh, framework of people process technology. Mm -hmm. Certainly we have a people uh, situation going on where we have uh, older workers actually retiring. And in, in the last, uh, last I would say six, seven years, I know so many of my, uh, <laughs> uh, not, I, must say, I would say colleagues, clients, et cetera, where I have seen this actually physically happen where people have retired. And, and more younger folks are stepping into those roles. So we need those people trained certainly, but there's also tools, which is because we have more younger folks stepping in, modernizing our technology stack, making sure yeah. that uh, there's more tools available, knowledge sharing is available, uh, being able to do a standardized processes by doing like uh, having connected worker solutions, uh, uh, having AI assistance because it's a lot more accepted by the yeah, by the by the newer for I mean newer uh, workers or newer personnel in the in the in the, in the workforce, and then there's of course the process end end of it, which is uh, not only is it because of external pressures uh, as we all know, but even internally there's a lot more uh, understanding of continuous improvement and six sigma kind of methodologies, and so people are mm -hmm. more ac are accepting of those sort of changes 
which was not possible once upon a time. So there's certainly that happening. I think, yeah, if you think about it broadly. No, I I, I to- totally agree, and that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to seeing how how the space evolves between, especially from the manufacturing side, that the leadership teams that are the baby boomer generation, the, the, the generation that's closer to retiring, and what's going to happen as that younger Gen Z moves through the workforce, takes those leadership positions and has a much different output or input, sorry, to technology and, and cloud native technology, especially. Uh, and so yeah, I think what you're saying is you, you wonder what would happen if that happens yeah. in a leadership role. I think, uh, I mean, I think it's all, all for the good. It's just uh, the next evolution. No wonder we're calling it industrial for industry for right? <laughs> It's really the next big step change in our industry. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, and it's just going to help. I mean, the, with the leadership being a lot more open and accepting of, of technology per se, because when if you think about the Gen Zs, maybe I got my gens wrong, but <laughs> most of the younger folks have, uh, many, of, many people actually grew up with mobile phones. So we had mo- yeah. mobile phones and technology, access to technology at much younger age. And, and as a result, it's, it's, at the end of the day, it's about building trust with technology. It's being able to build the the confidence that technology will truly actually solve problems and as a result is where you would see this next big industrial revolution with uh, with technology being the primary focus of, of of this generation i think uh i mean going back to our initial comment about which industries will get disrupted and having the leadership which that are a lot more accepting of technological change mm-hmm. might actually flatten that uh, that that cliff of sorts across industries. I think there is that also possibly happening, which by the way, now that you say it, it makes sense. Yeah, no, I I think that's that's a really fair point. And I think I really like what you said about that trust in technology and confidence that the technology will solve the problems and be reliable to create better process for the future. Yep. I mean, uh, so just uh, on that note, uh, one interesting thing is I was talking to a client of ours a few months back and and they're looking at using AI to solve simple uh, everyday solutions. So calling it everyday AI using our, okay. using our platform instead of, uh, instead of the big hard problem AI solutions like golden batch determination, all those are important, but, but the value of solving small, easy problems with AI is that you now help build the confidence and trust mm. in, the, in the tools and technology itself. So it has a different type of a benefit, even though it's not a direct hard benefit. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and building that confidence and use cases and success stories make, makes a lot of sense for other adoption as well, different areas of the business. Exactly, exactly. Well, I think I think that's a, a really good point to finish on, Prashant. And I think it's been a really good good talk. And thanks so much for sharing a bit of information about what Symphony I are doing, Mon360. It's been a really good conversation. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for having me here. Thank you.